Welcome back. I'm Robert Fleming of the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. You're listening to Elder Law Issues with me and my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rollins Freeman. Elizabeth, in an earlier podcast episode, we talked a little bit about administration of estates. And uh, to repeat from that session, small e administration, small e estate. We're not talking necessarily about probate, not necessarily about trust administration, not necessarily about conservatorship, but just administration of an estate, however it comes to you. And we, we talked a little bit about how to keep records and, and, um, and arrange for payment of bills. And we mentioned reimbursement. Um, I want to focus a little more on that. Uh, so a lot of people, I know you've had this experience and I have as well, a lot of our clients, uh, they adopt an approach that we don't really approve of. They, they pay their bills, they pay the bills of the person for whom they are administering an estate out of their own money and then get reimbursement periodically. Or worse yet, they withdraw cash using an ATM card from the, the ward, decedent, whatever, uh, bank account and, uh, and, and pay with cash. They say, well, I, I keep good records. What's possi- what could possibly go wrong? Why don't we want them to do that? Well, Robert, it really sends a very confusing message to people who are beneficiaries and heirs, other family members, about what's actually going on with the transfer of funds. It is, unless you have a conversation and show receipts, it is immediately a hot point when somebody will see somebody's agent under a financial power of attorney writing himself or herself a check. It it often muddies the water quite a bit, even when we have an agent who's doing the right thing. And for instance, they went to the doctor's office and it needed to pay for their parents' copay, right? Make sure that that was taken care of or paid for the prescription when they were picking it up from Walgreens. What happens is, is that it breeds some distrust or confusion among people who are family members, potentially heirs, beneficiaries. And the other thing is, it's going to give your tax guy a headache because he's going to be asking about deductions and certain expenses and yeah, I know you can keep all the receipts, but my gosh, that's going to make it very complicated come tax time to make sure that you've actually spelled out whether or not things should be deductions. And it's going to give us a headache too, because like the tax guy, we are trying to prepare an accounting at some point down the road for the, the beneficiaries or maybe for the court. And we have to reconcile all of those reimbursement checks or cash withdrawals. Um, here's one thing I tell clients all the time. Um, sure, you're not going to steal from your mom or your sister who's ever accounted as your managing or your dad's estate. Um, but every thief we have ever dealt with, every thief we, has, we have pursued and every thief that we have turned out to, to represent before we found out where they were a thief, every one of them has used ATM withdrawals and checks written to themselves as part of how they steal. And Maybe that's not you, but you don't want to look like those folks either. Right. And I will say that there is something to it if you have everything correctly identified at a bank. Let's just say you're acting as your spouse's agent under her financial power of attorney, and the bank account actually lists you there as POA, not as a joint account owner, but as POA. 
that kind of thing can be really helpful because it reminds people that you've done things the right way. And so there's certain optics to this too, Robert, that every time you're writing a check and you look at the top of the check and it says your name and identifies you as an agent, not an owner, it sends a message. It sends a message that you're trying to do things right. Now, I talk to people pretty routinely about credit cards and Robert, I don't know if our listeners all know this, but you are a miles guru. You have figured out ways to collect airline miles. And we have a system here at Fleming and Curdy, if a credit card is used, that we credit it back so that we're not the only one who's benefiting from the miles, but we actually make sure there's a credit on a fiduciary account for how we use the credit card. But there are certain ways when we work with agents, if they're putting things on their credit card, that we have to encourage them to think carefully about. They can't, just like we can't, get some backwards benefit from that. And so I tell people, do not use your credit card. In fact, don't use your mom's credit card. Use a regular bank account. That's a, it's a simple thing, but there can really be hurt feelings when people start to use credit cards. One of the things that there can be um, tension around actually are who inherits mom's miles. Have you ever thought about that, Robert? I've thought about it. It's a, it's a, and it's an interesting legal challenge because if you ask the airlines, they will tell you nobody can inherit the miles. They end with the death of the of the traveler, um, but that's not how they actually operate. So it's a, a kind of an interesting challenge to deal with. A good topic for another podcast, yes, maybe. Yes, it is indeed. But I, I will tell you, it's a real tendency people have to want to get those points or use a credit card, and they say, "Well, this is better than reimbursement." No. Actually, it's not. It's still very confusing. Just use a debit card that's linked to an account that you're on as agent or successor trustee or personal representative. Um, it is so nice to provide an accounting to the court or to beneficiaries and heirs. That's actually right from the bank. You know, some years ago, I figured out that on my personal checking account, I don't need to reconcile it and keep my, my check register up to date as long as I keep rough ideas of how much money is in there. But in a case where I'm managing or handling somebody else's money, I want every dollar, every penny entered in there. If you use that debit card, and I agree with you, Elizabeth, the debit card is a great way to pay the copayment at the doctor's office or to to uh, to get the, the telephone bill paid online because somehow the bill didn't arrive in time. Great way to do it. But immediately as you use the debit card, go enter it in the check register and you keep the check register so that you can keep it up to date. Um, that doesn't, by the way, mean that you should take away your dad's checkbook and not let him write any checks himself. And, and we're going to have a conversation about that on another, uh, another occasion in another podcast. Well, I think that people listening today just know if you've been writing yourself checks and um, reimbursing yourself that way, please just stop. It's, it's okay. You're not going go to not gonna go to jail. But it's a good time to, to start working on better practices. And the other thing here is, is if your mother likes to have cash and that's what she likes to use at the bank, get from the bank to use at the grocery store or to help you know pay the gardener or whoever, you need to be really mindful of how you're accounting for that too because there's a chance somebody's going to ask you, so how much are our mom's groceries every week? Because I see that she goes every Friday to get 500 in cash. Well, 
you know, you should know that because if she is going to be spending cash, it's a little bit harder to track. So I'm I'm really not in favor of cash generally, Robert. It, um, it can be difficult. One thing that I, I, I laugh about is uh, the memory of my own grandfather. He loved cash. And so he would get cash for haircuts so he could go pay for his haircut in cash. But that was basically it. <laughs> we knew that the cash was going one place and that was to the barber and I think that our family knew that that was part of his tradition and made him happy. And so we, you know, had had some limitations on that and it was part of his routine. So try and make sure people can maintain some of their autonomy, but be really mindful about your job as a record keeper and a fiduciary. Well, let's wrap this up, Elizabeth. I think we want to talk about this, uh, the use of cash and giving a little autonomy to the subjects of fiduciary proceedings. And we want to talk about that some more in, a next, in our next podcast episode. But for now, thank you for joining us at Elder Law Issues, Fleming and Curdy PLC's regular weekly podcast. I'm Robert Fleming, and I've been chatting with Elizabeth Noble Rollins Freeman, uh, my partner. And, um, and we hope that you will join us again next time. Thanks.